0: to meet their teachers out in the lobby, and uh, just want to encourage you again to continue to be faithful in prayer. The, the doors are opening, uh, but we cannot at this moment assume that just because they're opening, they are going to continue to open. In fact, I think the doors that are opening now are a result of the prayers that we have been praying up to this point, point. and uh, I do get a sense that it's easier for us now that we think things are progressing to just kind of back away from uh, prayer, and I want to just stir that up in our hearts again. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to clarify, um, something that someone outside of our church actually said to me um, recently, and I corrected them, and they said, well, I hear your church is downsizing. We're not downsizing, we're shifting focus. Uh, Yes, downsizing, yes, trying to get our finances in order is a part of this process, Um, but we're not downsizing anything. In fact, we need more people. We need to grow. If we're going to plant multiple campuses in multiple cities, if we're going to have multiple services in order to better reach our community, uh, we need to grow. And so we're not trying to downsize. This isn't a step backwards. This is a step into what we feel like God is preparing us for and what he has prepared us for for years. As I look back over the leadership teams we've had over the last three years and more, we put things on paper, like church planting, six years ago, believing that that's something that God put in our hearts, but we had no idea how it was going to come to pass. He started telling us them things that we needed to get in order in our lives, the ways that we needed to be doing things, structuring things, handling things, so that in this moment right now, those things actually need to be in place in order to fulfill the vision God has for us. He personally, for me... Part of that process years ago was to know what I'm going to preach six months in advance. Six months. And you know what I said when I first heard that? Ain't no way. And I was real spiritual, too, because I'm like, how do you rely on the Holy Spirit? You know? I mean, as if when God created the world, he just kind of was winging it. You know? I mean, as if the God who knows the end from the beginning can't reveal for six months You know what that usually is for sometimes for Pentecostals? We just like to be lazy. We like to procrastinate and claim that we work better under pressure. But you know what? When we procrastinate and when we don't get our our ducks in a row when God calls us to do that, it actually hinders what He can have us do. And if you're going to have multiple campuses and multiple sites and multiple pastors and multiple things happening, you got to get these things done. And this week in our staff meeting, I was just so encouraged as we kind of looked at things that God has all along put into place in our church. And some of them we're not doing real good at. And it was a reminder to us that, you know, we want to plant a church, but God says, I'm not going to let you do that because you're going to get crushed under the weight of what all of that vision is if you don't get these things in place first. And one of those things is prayer, house of prayer, corporate prayer making sure we are praying together because every church that grows and expands has a core group of people praying together. That's just what the reality of it is across uh, the nation today. And so I want to encourage you in those things. Uh, Some people have asked other questions. I don't have a lot of answers for you right now. I wish I did. I know that when we think, when God says something, uh, God's going to give us like the whole journey. How many of you like the whole journey? You like to know everything. You like to know every detail, where we're going to spend the night. In fact, that's how I live my life. And this last year, as we were coming back from Pennsylvania, I finally decided to live on the edge. And I told the family, hey, we are going to just travel into Iowa, and we're just going to stop when we're tired. And so we got to Iowa City, I think it was, and praise God, we're going to stop on uh, move-in weekend for the University of Iowa. And uh, we literally visited seven hotels, not a room in sight. Um, and so finally there was some up on the hill, and I called them from a parking lot. And one lady said, You know, we have this suite. It's a big bedroom, living room, kitchen. It's huge. The price was normally like two something a night. She's like, It's the only room I have left. I'll give it to you for $120. I said, I'll be there in two seconds. Don't give that room away because we're not driving any further. I'm exhausted. And so we stayed in this great room and we were like, this is the best room we've ever stayed in. And we, got, we were in it for like eight hours. And so we didn't even get to enjoy it. But, uh, you know, we like the whole picture. And sometimes God says, you know, I'll give you what you need when the time comes. You know, we can't force doors to open, but we want doors to open as we're walking down the street instead of waiting till we get to the door. And I feel like for me, I'm learning to trust God for the first time uh, in my life. And so I want to encourage you, continue to pray. Uh, If you have questions about what's going on or uh, things you would like me to answer, I'd love to do that uh, for you. I'm still available for coffee anytime, and uh, we'll just talk you through the answers that I have anyway. And so today, anxious for nothing. I mean, this is like the perfect segue right here, because uh, there are things I'm excited about, this vision and the things that are happening. And there are moments in my day, I promise you, I am overwhelmed by the sense of this is so much. Um, And so be anxious for nothing for me right now is actually a really good word. The word calm is the word from the book that we've been talking through. It's an acrostic, C-A-L-M. We've talked about celebrating God's goodness. We've talked about the fact that God is good. He is for us. He is with us. He's pursuing us. And that's that first step into overcoming anxiety. Last week, Pastor Mark shared a word with the A called Ask God for Help. Now, I know that he preached a sermon called um, this is war or something about war, and he ruined our acrostic, and so I don't feel that I can continue, and no, I'm just, just kidding. In fact, when he told me he was switching, and I'm like, Mark, why do you always have to be so difficult? And he's not here. Hopefully, he's not watching by live stream, but um, What a profound prophetic word that he shared with us. And maybe he didn't fit our acrostic, but he really unpacked what God was saying to our church last week. And if you missed that sermon about not pushing the wrong buttons, about making sure that you follow the choice that you've been given, because the the feeling of anxiety, remember, is inevitable. The prison of anxiety is a choice. And in those moments, when anxiety rises up, you don't have to push the button that you've pushed all along. You've been given power through the cross to choose not to push that button anymore. And it's such a profound word, clarifying God's role and our role and our obedience to trust him and him fighting for us. And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen if you were not here. And if you were here, go back and listen again. Now, I know that I say that sometimes and it seems self-serving because it's a message I preached, but I'm saying it because I think it's biblical. Just this last week, we went to the region cross-country meet up in Webster and uh, we ran in 26 degrees with three inches of snow on the ground and a 15-degree wind chill. Uh, It was brutal. And on the way home... um, We were having a conversation in the van about Bible class, and the the boys were talking about the questions that they answered this week in Bible class. They all wrote questions and they responded. And one of the questions that particularly irritated them, the discussion of it anyway, was this idea of a theme verse. The school every year has a theme verse. And the question was Does it matter? Do you need a theme verse? And of course, one side said, no, it's pointless, it doesn't do anything, everyone just forgets it, and, you know, it's just, it's just words. And the other side was, no, it absolutely does matter. And as this discussion was going back and forth, I finally entered into the discussion and said, you know, in my opinion, a theme verse is what you make it. I mean, if it's pointless to you, it'll be pointless and bear no fruit, but if it actually is something that you let into your heart and transform you, then it actually is very beneficial and very important. And if the leaders have been praying and feel like this is God's verse for the school for that year, then yeah, I think it is very important and very vital, but your bad attitude about it might actually hinder its effectiveness in your own life. And the one kid sitting beside me was like, yeah, that's what I was saying all along. I'm like, <laughs> Good for you, and, uh, but I, I, I challenge you, because you can sit in these sermons, and you could sit in Pastor Mark's sermon last week, and you could walk out and be like, I didn't get anything out of that. The scripture teaches us that it's not the message, but the condition of our hearts that sometimes affects our ability to hear. Okay, now I'm not saying every person that preaches a sermon in every church and even in this pulpit every week is actually preaching a word from the Lord, but you can't walk out that door and discount what was said if your heart is hard if you're not preparing the soil of your heart, if you're not humbling yourself before the Lord, if you're upset about something or had a fight on the way to church and there's something going on that keeps you from receiving the word, it's not on the person here. And so sometimes it's good to go back and re-listen because when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower, remember there were three types of soil, three of them, that received it with joy. But one of them, when they went out, remember, they got... The, the seed didn't produce fruit. It got choked out by the cares, the busyness of life. I just forgot. I forgot what he said. I forgot. It's good to go back and rehearse what was said. I listen to sermons sometimes five and six times to try to hear everything that I need to apply to my life. See, we think if I just listen to the sermon once and then I go home and watch football all afternoon, that I'm going to produce fruit. Is that how it works? No, good soil takes the word, receives it with joy, and they put down deep roots. And those roots don't grow automatically. They grow through your rehearsing, meditating on what was spoken and applying it to your life. And so at the end of the parable of the sower, if you remember, Jesus gives this funny phrase and says, take heed to how you listen. Take heed to how you listen. Because if you're faithful with little, you'll be given more. But if you're not faithful with what you've heard, even what you think you have will be taken from you. Okay, that's a warning to us. And so I want to encourage you go back through what God has said. Go back through the notes that you wrote down. And make sure that we're not just hearing God's word, but we're applying it to our lives. And so today we're in the L of the acrostic for calm. And today we're going to leave it with God. We're going to leave it with God. If you've got your Bible, we're going to Philippians chapter 4 again. And I'm going to read the entire passage in its context. And then we're going to focus specifically on verses 6 and 7 today. But Paul writes, Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I love that short sentence at the beginning, the Lord is near, that reminder that God is near. Sometimes you feel like God is distant. Sometimes you've been taught God is distant. Can I tell you, God does not move. Yes, there are times where our sin actually clogs up our ears and it seems like he's far away, or there are times where he actually just stays silent because he wants to reveal the things that are in our hearts. Can I tell you that sometimes God's silence is not because you've been a bad boy or a bad girl and he's rebuking you. Sometimes his silence is to show you that there's been anxiety in your heart all along and he's going to let it come to the surface so that you can either test that you're going to trust him and you're going to wait on his timing or you're going to take matters into your own hands. Remember the story of King Saul. King Saul, didn't Samuel didn't come to offer the sacrifice. So what did he do? He took matters into his own hands and he offered the sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to offer. And then he says, but, but you weren't here. Samuel, if you weren't late, it's your fault. And the reason that God had delayed bringing Samuel for the sacrifice is just to reveal what he had already known was in Saul's heart all along. And one of the things that kept Saul from being able to continue on as king is his ability to repent. His ability to just say, you know what? You are right, I have sinned. David committed adultery, he murdered the woman's husband, and then he took her into his home, and at the end of the day, when he was confronted with his sin, he didn't say, well, Uriah should have gone home to her. I tried to get him home. I even tried to get him drunk. What did he say? Against God and against God only have I sinned. And he fell on his face and he repented. It's not about whether or not we're perfect. It's whether or not we we will repent and humble ourselves. And when you repent, you recognize God has never moved. He's always been right there. He is near all the time. Even when you're unfaithful, he stays faithful. And Mark did such a fantastic job of reminding us of that, of, that, of that last week. Then, I don't want you to miss the end of the, the whole passage of Scripture. It's not on the screen right now. But I love that Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, Paul's saying, obedience matters. And I love it that he covers every base and removes every excuse. He says, whatever you've learned, received, heard from me, or seen in me. In other words, maybe you say, well, Paul, you've preached that, but I've seen that you don't live it. He doesn't say, oh, if, if you hear it and see it, he says, no matter what, if you've learned it, if you've received it, if you've heard it, if you've seen it, continue to put it into practice, no excuses, no, you know, when you stand before God and you say, well, why didn't you put that into practice? If you try this one, well, I know Pastor Tom preached that, but he didn't live it, God. How do you think that's going to go? Now, for teachers, there's a stricter judgment, and so I can't stand before God and say, hey, God, I, I know I didn't live it, but I taught it, so is that good enough? Does that, No. Pay attention to your own life, lest after preaching to others you would be disqualified, Paul says. This is important. Obedience matters. And you can have all kinds of excuses as to why you don't have to obey your spouse, your kids, your job, your this, your that, pressure, finances. Oh, there's all kinds of reasons to not obey the word of God. But the cross has really kind of driven a stake in the ground and said there is no excuse. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. And so Paul begins to talk about this thing called gratitude. And the way that gratitude is defined for us in the book by Max is simply the mindful awareness of the benefit of life. The mindful awareness of the benefits of life. In other words, you got to bring back to your mind, not just on Thanksgiving Day and not just in November, the things that you have been given. It's the art of focusing more on what you do have than what you don't have. And he goes into great detail to describe the anxious heart and this river of if only. He talks about the widest river on the earth today. And it's not the Mississippi, and it's not the Amazon River, and it's not the Nile River. It's the if-only river. And it's the thousands of people, he says, stand on the shores of the river, if-only, and cast longing glances across the water to the other side. And we believe that if-only... Something would happen in our lives. If only our circumstance would change, then we would have contentment. Then we would have joy. Then we would have peace. Then we would have this. And it's a lie. If only I were thinner, I'd have a good life. If only I were richer, I'd have a good life. If only my kids would come home. If only my kids were gone. (laughs) If only I could leave home. If only I could move back home. If only I could get married, if only I could get divorced, if only my skin were clear of pimples, if only my calendar were free of people, if only my profession was immune from layoffs, then I would have the good life. And for many of us, the good life is always one if only away. It's always one promotion away. It's always one purchase away. It's always one election away. It's always one transition away, one romance away. And if for us, if only... Is the thing in our lives. It's always just there. If only this, then you've traced anxiety back to one of its sources in your life. The Apostle Paul later in Philippians chapter 4 gives us these words. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, the Apostle Paul is penning these words from prison, and lest you think prison is what we know in America, it's more like the Turkish prison where uh, Pastor Andrew spent his time. If you had seen any of that on the news or heard any of that, it's even worse than that. The, The condition in this prison would have been deplorable. It would have been dark, it would have been damp, it would have been musty, it would have been moldy, he would have been freezing cold, he would have not had enough food to eat, and there was hopelessness because he was not going to be released. He knew this. And yet in that moment, he pens the words, "I have learned the secret of being content." It's funny that he doesn't say, "I've learned the principle." Of being content. He doesn't say, I've learned the concept of being content. He's said, I've learned the secret of being content. And that word secret means something that is not commonly known. And unfortunately many people outside of that prison cell have not learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. They lived paralyzed by if only. If only I had a different spouse, if only I had a spouse, if only I had a different job, if only I went to a different church, if only we had a different pastor, if only we had a different this, different 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 th- if only. As if God has somehow been asleep at the wheel. And the circumstance of your life right now has been beyond his grasp, and he is now awoken to see the mess and has no idea what to do. And yet when we respond with if if only, when we respond to the anxiety of our heart with panic, pushing that button, that's exactly what we're living like as if God somehow has been asleep at the wheel. But God has assured us, even if you make a mess of your own life, I've seen the end from the beginning. I knew you were going to do that, and it's not my will. I mean, please don't put God's will. Oh, God led me into this bad situation to show his will. (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, his perfect will was not that situation. But because of your own choices, you get into that mess. He's already got a way out. But you have to trust him. You have to humble yourself. You have to stop saying it's somebody else's fault. And you've got to let him have his work in your life. You've got to fix your eyes, as Paul says, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. The key to contentment is what we choose to focus on. Everything we see, including human relationships, betrayals, injustices, abuses, Even those things that happen in our lives, those things are temporary. The things we cannot see are the things that are eternal. And so he says our contentment, our joy, our peace, our happiness has to be based on not what we see but what is unseen. And that unseen thing ultimately is this. The relationship you have with the Father by way of the cross of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yep, We're coming right back to the same thing we've been talking about for months. It's all about intimacy with the Father. It's all about relationship that you have day after day after day after day with your Father in heaven. And because no one can take that away from you, no one can take your joy. Death cannot take your joy. Because Jesus overcame death, he overcame hell, he overcame the grave. Failure cannot take your joy because Jesus is greater than our sin. And God, because of the sacrifice of Christ, is no longer counting our sin against us. Betrayal cannot take your joy because Jesus promised he will never leave us or forsake us. No sickness, no disappointment, no loss. Nothing can separate us from his love or his plan for us. So what we have in Christ is greater than anything we do not have in this life that's the secret of contentment this is not a Christian cliché. This is not just something that we amen in, in a church service, and when we walk out those doors and we face difficult situations, that we just throw out these Christian clichés. These are bedrock truths. And the reason this still remains a secret of contentment in our society today is because when we face difficulty at work, or we face difficulty from a spouse, or we face difficulty in some way in our lives, we say, well, God's just abandoned me, or that person is... is." doing this harmful thing and I can't be expected to to live according to God's will when they won't and because of the excuses we make we live in fear we live in anxiety we don't know what's going to happen The interesting thing from Philippians chapter 4 is we have so misapplied Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we've applied it to all kinds of things. I see basketball players put it on their shoes as if what Paul is talking about is winning an NBA championship. No, he's talking about being content without an NBA championship. It's talking about being content without a million dollar contract. It's talking about being content in a Turkish prison separated from your spouse and still keeping your faith firmly rooted in who Jesus Christ is, knowing he has not abandoned you. That's what Paul is talking about. In the book, Max gives us this quote. You have a God who is crazy about you and the forces of heaven to monitor and protect you. You have the living presence of Jesus within you. In Christ, you have everything. And either this statement is true for every one of us in this room at every moment this week, or it is not true at all. There's no middle ground here. And I know that every one of us would say, Oh, that is so true. But at work this week, when your boss is in your face, are you going to trust God or are you going to fall back? When you go into the doctor's office and he gives you a report, are you going to trust God or are you going to fall back? When your kids are doing everything you've told them not to do, kids, when your parents are doing everything you've told them not to do, are you going to trust God? Is it true that you have a God who's crazy about you and the forces of heaven to monitor and protect you? I mean, we get so nervous because, again, oh, we say we know how it ends. In fact, I wanted to bring a stepladder in here today, but I forgot my stepladder. We want to know how the game ends. And if we knew how it ended, then we wouldn't be so panicked. How many of you know at the end, you win? Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And you say, well, Pastor Tom, I I know that, but I don't know what's going to happen before that. He does. He does. And that does, that's not an excuse for you to cast yourself off the temple, remember, and to be, well, since God knows everything, he knows the day I'm going to die, I'm going to go skydiving without a parachute. No, Jesus said, don't test the Lord your God. It means that nothing can be done to you that he's not aware of. I mean, some of us live so paralyzed in fear of what's going to happen to us. I'm going to get this diagnosis. I'm going to get that diagnosis. This person's going to die. That person's going to die. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to do all these things. As if there's someone in heaven that is asleep at the wheel. And here's the thing. You, I know you're, you're, well, what about this person? What about that person who died? What about, what about young boys who take their own lives? What about people who get hit by drunk drivers? What about the prayers that don't seem to get answered? Hey, above my pay grade, all I know is there is a God I can trust with my eternity. And I don't have to live every day in fear of the what if. I don't have to worry about what if my spouse dies, what if one of my kids dies, what if, what what if this diagnosis, what? Because if you live in that, you live paralyzed by fear. I know there is a God in heaven who orders my steps. And nothing can come into my life that he cannot see me through. And ultimately, no one can separate me from him. Jesus, in the last moments with his disciples, is trying to explain this to them. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. That word troubled means to stir up or to throw into disorder. He's not telling them, don't be anxious. He's not saying, don't feel anxious. So when you feel anxious this week, don't, be, don't believe the lie that that's a sin. It's not a sin to feel anxious. It, anxiety is inevitable. When Jesus was going to die, he was not telling them, you know, you're not going to be sad when I die. You're not going to be confused when I die. You're not going to be worried when I die. You're not going to be anxious. Don't let your heart be stirred up to the point where you do something stupid in your anxiety. In other words, get a handle on yourself in those anxious moments and make sure you push the right button this time. Even if it has to take a full step back and you have to call someone on the phone and say, pray for me because I'm going to push a stupid button. That's called humility. That's called letting people in your life. You know, we, we pretend we want to be the body of Christ, but we want to hide everything from everybody. I mean, I don't want to tell anybody when I'm sick. I don't want to tell anybody when I'm having surgery. I don't want to tell anybody what's going on in my life. I don't want to tell anybody about my finance. Everything wants to be a big secret, but we think we're going to be a body of Christ. Let's at least stop fooling ourselves, and if we're going to keep everything tight-chested, we're never going to be a body. I'm not saying you got to start at day one telling everybody everything, but let's at least be real and honest with ourselves. Okay, We have to be willing to be humble before each other or all bets are off. So Jesus says, trust in God and trust in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. I know that some of your versions might be believe, but that word believe in our world today has become a lot like Santa Claus. We just believe in something, but it doesn't change how we live. And so the word trust is actually a better translation for us today because it means the same thing. Trust means I'm going to act a certain way because I believe God is in control of my life. Trust means when someone yells at me, I don't have to yell back because I trust God. Trust means whenever something happens in my life or something happens at work or something happens with my spouse, I can still act according to what God says to do because I trust He's in control of my life. That's what trust means. When I was at Trinity Bible College, we had the opportunity to do a trust fall and we climbed a six-foot ladder. And uh, I forgot to bring my ladder here today, but do you know what six foot is? And I climbed to the top of that ladder and we were supposed to let go and fall into the arms of the other RAs, the resident assistants and resident directors, and they were going to catch us. It sounded like a good plan until you climbed the ladder. That's high. But here's the kicker. They said you have to fall with your arms and legs straight because if you flail... Somebody will get hurt. Huh. Now, they freed you from the shame and guilt and said, if you walk up and say, hi, my name is Tom Brantner, and I choose not to do this, we all cheered for you because you were going to, because better to do that and admit you were too scared to do it than to do it and flail and hurt yourself or someone. But I climbed the ladder and I, with fear and trepidation, fell back. And you know what? They caught me. And then they were supposed to hold you and just rock you while your heart rate returned to normal. <laughs> Literally, that's what they said. You were just supposed to lay there, and it was supposed to be a team-building exercise. That's what Jesus is saying, trust. That's what trust is. Trust is when God's will says this, and you've been praying for it, but your reality is here. This is where, we, this is where trust is tested. And for so many of us, as long as God has given us everything we need and everything lines up perfectly, we can say we trust God. But the moment things don't start lining up, that's where actually trust is tested. But most of us fail that test and we blame everyone else. And God is saying, no, I was just showing you that you really didn't trust me. And here's the thing. God's not offended by us acting out because he sees our hearts. So he knew before we acted out that we were going to act that way. I mean, that's the, the crazy thing about him. And so he's not holding that against you. At the end of that chapter, Jesus says, I'm leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. Some scholars wonder, is Jesus talking about his second coming, or is Jesus talking about he's going away when he dies, and three days later he is coming again to them? Most people believe Jesus is talking about, I'm going to be gone for a couple days and I'm coming back. Remind yourselves of that. Don't push the panic button while I'm in the earth for three days. Trust And that's what he's trying to get them to feel. So the question is, do the reactions when we face difficulty in our lives show peace of mind and heart? Do they show trust? Do our reactions at work? Do our reactions in politics? I mean, everywhere we look today, Christians are freaking out about elections, about as if God is in heaven asleep at the wheel. I'm all for getting the vote out. I'm all for being involved in politics. I'm all for being reasonable. But when we think we have to cross a line into unreasonable because we've got to win at all costs, you don't have the peace of God in your heart or your mind. Because we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House. In fact, when someone's in the White House that most Christians like, we tend to be lazier. So if it were up to me, I'd put someone in we don't like, we would pray better, but that's just me. So John chapter 16, then Jesus says this. He he teaches his disciples, and look at what they say. At last, you're speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand, and we know everything, and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. Why I think that's funny is they don't understand everything yet because they still don't know that he's going to die and they still panic in that moment. Um, And so it's funny in that way. And I love the line that says, at last you're speaking plainly. When for weeks now, if you read the scripture, Jesus said he told them plainly. He must die and be raised to life. He told them plainly. He told them, he's been telling them for weeks, and they're like, oh, finally. You're Their hearts finally are ready to hear it. The message hasn't changed. Their hearts are now ready to hear it. And look at this. Each one of you is going to go your own way, leaving me alone, yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. <clears throat> what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, is not that you will receive peace from God. Look at what he says you're going to get. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How is that different? The peace from God is peace that changes our circumstances. In other words, peace from God Or what we're looking for is that the diagnosis isn't going to work out. That the answer is going to come. That that person isn't going to die. That that the money is going to be there. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for peace from God. And what he's offered is the peace of God. Meaning the presence of God in our lives day after day after day after day. His presence. He hasn't said all of your circumstances when you pray are going to go like this. He hasn't promised that everything's just going to go and be perfectly balanced. He's promised a life like this. And are you going to trust him when it's like this? Or are you going to say, well, you know, I guess I know God's word says that, but I guess my circumstances show that that's really not true. And now we develop a theology on this instead of what the word said all along. I love the words of Job that says, Even if he slay me, yet will I praise him. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says it here, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word, let, is a very powerful word, meaning you have a choice. See, when anxiety was at its highest peak for me, remember my story I told you about taking sleeping pills and they didn't work? (laughs) You have a choice you can let things rule and reign in your life or you can let anxiety rule in your life. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. Change may not come as fast as you want. It's not a pill you swallow. It's a life you live. It's a relationship that you live. That word rule means the umpire, umpire of your life. Meaning when anxiety comes up in your heart, what are you going to let rule in your life? The peace of Christ or anxiety. Who's going to get to call the shots? Safe, out, strike, ball, either the word of God, the peace of Christ, or our anxiety. See, what I hope we're starting to understand is you and I are not an exception to the things that are in the scripture. I know that some of you might say, but pastor, you don't know what I've been through. And I know you've had anxiety, but I don't have anybody in my life. I don't have anybody that's been praying for me. I don't have any, I'm alone. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know the circumstances that I faced. You don't know how mean people have been. And you're right. I don't know all of that. But what I do know is there is no exception to the word of God. And if he says he is with you and he ordains your steps, then that's what he means. And if it is not true for every one of us in this room, at every moment of this week, it is not true for any of us. And if it is not true for any of us, we might as well stop showing up here on Sunday morning because our faith is built on nothing. And I don't believe you believe that. So let's look at one more verse, if we can. A couple more verses. The first one comes from Daniel chapter 10. Daniel, the angel comes to Daniel and says, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. When were his words heard? The first time. Heard. Uh, Pastor, I've I've been praying for years, and I don't think God is listening. The first time you prayed, he heard. He heard. Well, why isn't he answering? Well, he's the only one that can tell you that. So be content with him because he is your inheritance. In Isaiah chapter 43, look at what the Lord says. He who created you. Anybody in the room not been created by God? Just checking. Because I know it says he created you, Jacob. But as long as he's created every one of us, then we can put our names in there. He who formed you says this, do not fear. I have redeemed you. This is in Isaiah before the cross. The cross now reminds us he's redeemed us. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, what waters? The flood waters. There's going to be flood waters to pass through. I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's like he puts his stamp on there to remind you. So when you're having the anxiety attack and the panic is all around, you need to come back to Isaiah 43 and say, you know what, I'm in a river, I'm in a fire, I'm in water, I don't know, but he is here. Be at peace, O my soul, because he is here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we do not fight with the same weapons that the world fights with. And as Mark reminded us last week, we are in a war. And we cannot use the weapons of this world to fight that. And so, for many of us, what happens is these strongholds that Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 10 get developed in our lives. Do you know what a stronghold is? It's a rut, it's a pattern. I don't know if you've ever seen water that has carved its way through the ground. It's made a pattern. And so if you want water to flow a different way, you've got to demolish the stronghold that it goes in. And for some of you, you come to a prayer line and you say, I want, I want to be set free from anxiety. And you think that the prayer is going to be what demolishes the stronghold. But what demolishes the stronghold is the weapons of truth, the promises of God. So when you sense the anxiety and you see yourself, the water starts flowing to that worst-case scenario. I mean, anybody live like that? Worst case. I mean, the first, first sign of bad news and you're already at death. Worst-case scenario. Because that's the stronghold that you've lived in. Somebody says something, and you you don't listen to what they've said. You've listened to what they've meant. And you've already put it in the worst, bad things always happen to me, nobody likes me pattern. And I understand that pattern, but you've got to destroy it. You've got to destroy where that inlet is, and I don't care where you recognize it, but whatever you recognize it, begin to demolish every argument, every reasoning, every excuse, and you go after it with the truth and the promises of the Word of God, and you destroy that thing. Sometimes you use prayer. Sometimes you use fasting. Sometimes you use humility by asking others to pray for you. You walk in obedience. When you feel like getting even with someone, you walk in forgiveness. That's how you demolish strongholds. There are strongholds all over our nation and there are strongholds in each of our lives individually and we can destroy them with the patterns that God has given us. We've got to trust him. Ultimately, we've got to leave it with him. We've got to leave it with him. We've got to trust that he is in control of our circumstances. He's in control of our lives and he's the one that's going to fight for us. Our job is to fix our eyes and fix our mind on what is unseen, on the unchanging character of God. You cannot wait for the feeling of anxiety to quit in your life. You can't wait for it. I know of people who have been set free from anxiety and set free from medication and have experienced healing. It's possible. And can I tell you this? Medication-free living is the goal for all of us in life. I mean, I'm talking no aspirin, no high blood pressure pill. That's the goal, okay? That's total full restoration. But let me also set your mind at ease. Pills are not a sin. Now, if they're your idol, if they're your only hope, Well, yeah, then that's displaced the Lord in your life. But don't believe the lie that if I take a pill, I'm not trusting Jesus. That's a lie. And so don't try to set yourself free. Let him teach you to walk in freedom. And here's the thing. If you don't get some of these things in place before you stop taking medication, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you don't learn how to replace the stronghold in your life, and you, don't, and you just say, I'm going to stop my medication, cold turkey, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because the enemy is going to take you right back down that path into that stronghold, and you're going to be in a worse situation than you were at the beginning. So do not misunderstand what we're saying as we go through this series. There's nothing wrong with medication, but don't let it be your idol. Ultimately, it's God who sets us free. When it comes to these strongholds in our lives, destroy them with the eternal weapons of truth and remind yourself what has always been is not what always must be because Jesus makes all things new. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your faithfulness for us. God, I thank you that we can sit in this room today in full assurance that we may be physically in this room but because of the blood of Jesus Christ we have just entered into the throne room of the creator of the universe that every angel in heaven stands ready your word says that all angels are ministering spirits sent to help those who will inherit salvation. You deploy them on our behalf to protect us, to free us, to encourage us, to help us. You deploy them to fight spiritual battles against rulers and authorities and principalities and powers. You destroy, you deploy them the same way that you set Peter free in the book of Acts with one of your messengers you still today send messengers to this earth to fight our battles Father I pray for every person in this room today God I pray for those that are here that have not put trust in you for the very first time They've never surrendered their lives to you and received the sacrifice that Christ has made on their behalf. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make that a reality in their hearts, even right now. But I pray for those, God, that have come into your kingdom, that have prayed this prayer, but yet the reality of our lives doesn't show we trust you. Help us today, Holy Spirit, to conform our lives to what we say we believe we invite you throughout this week ahead to show us every area of our lives where there's a lack of trust every reaction every response every slanderous accusation every retaliation every anxious moment. Show us that lack of trust. Father, right now I rebuke shame, guilt, and condemnation over the lives of everyone in this room. That when you come alongside and you discipline us and you reveal that lack of trust, God, that there would be a full revelation that you are standing right there with open arms to intervene on our behalf. That we would be able to humble ourselves before you and receive grace and mercy from you. As your heads are bowed and you're processing this moment, if you'd just bear with me for just one moment more. If you're in this room and you have never made a commitment to surrender your life to Christ, you've never accepted the sacrifice that he made on the cross for your sin and you are separated from God today and you say, I want to be made right with God. I want to walk in that relationship with God that you described today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, I want that in my life today. I've never done it before and I want to do it today. Just slip up your hand and say, I want to pray that prayer. Anyone else? Here's the kicker then. I probably should have you open your eyes and look around, but I won't. I want you to shoot straight with yourself and with the Lord today. And if your life is marked more by a lack of trust than trust, maybe you pray, but you don't pray with thanksgiving. And when you leave... You take it with you. And you sense the Holy Spirit today saying, you know what? That stuff needs to get laid down. And it needs to stay there. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, That's me? I want to pray for you as you close the service, as we close the service today. For those of you that were honest, thank you. For those of you that were afraid to raise your hand, I'd encourage you to take time to seal this word in your heart before you leave. For those of you that might think that nothing I've shared today applies to you, please be careful before you leave today that it's not the hardness of your heart that's kept anything from penetrating today. And take a moment to quiet yourself before the Lord and allow Him to speak anything that he needs to speak to you. For those of you that lifted your hand, do not be discouraged. Do not get weary in doing what is right because the promise of God's word is you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Anxiety is sometimes a long battle, but here's the promise. He is with you every step of the way whether you take steps forward or you take steps back, he's with you. I want to be with you. This body wants to be with you. So I invite you to stand with me as we close. I want to pray one prayer over you in dismissal. I want to pray a prayer over this church that we would become a church where it's easy for people to be able to admit their failings and their weaknesses, that God would continue to work that mindset into the heart of our body. And as I pray today, if you're here, and maybe you need prayer, our prayer team is gonna be here at the end of the service, or maybe you just need to come and kneel at an altar and lay down what you need to lay down today. Maybe as a symbolic gesture, the Lord's gonna put it on your heart to just bring whatever you need to bring and just leave it here. I want to encourage you to do that and so Father I thank you again for your faithfulness to us thank you that while we were your enemies you sent your son to die for us Father I pray for this church as a whole right now God I pray break our hearts over the things that break your hearts put in us God a heart of compassion a heart of mercy a heart of grace God make us a people that can bring restoration into the lives of those that are broken those that are hurting those that are hopeless God those that have literally come to the end of their rope God give us eyes to see Give us ears to hear. Father, for those that have repented today, I pray do as you have promised. Meet them in this moment with all of the grace and the mercy that they need to walk in the fullness of your victory in life today. And now over this body today, I pray your blessing. God, I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you lift up your countenance upon them, God, that you'd be gracious to them and give them peace according to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team is here in the front. If you need a a place to pray around this altar, you can do that. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Thank you for going over with us a little bit today. God bless you as you go.